The man who discovered the blood moons is here with us. This is not good. This is one bucket wow. of pancakes. The man of the toupee. He's on the front page of New York There's no respect for white European males anymore. Hey everyone, welcome to the Spin Doctrines Podcast, the podcast about propaganda and the people who peddle it. I'm Travis Reyes. I'm Kenny Van. And I'm free speech warrior Amador Salazar. What's oh, up? No. Uh, today we have a special guest. <laughs> you want to introduce yourself, Alex? Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Alex Bernal. Uh, man of many legs. Uh, some call me the Tin Man. Some call me Doc Ock. See, that's if I'm on a basketball court <laughs> or in a... See, that's how you do an intro, Amador. You don't just say some shit willy-nilly. <laughs> Throw out your free speech warrior. <laughs> hey, we're legalizing comedy one episode at a time. This is what That's we're actually doing, what right? Alex is here to talk about. He's part of the uh, legalized comedy <laughs> delegation. <laughs> we're going to... You're going to make it so you can say anti-Semitic stuff and still work for Disney. You're telling me that the churches can be open, but we can't have open mic nights? It's like, no. You know, Alex, I don't know if you've heard this. In New York, apparently, since they can do weddings, they're having like weddings at comedy clubs, and then comics are just doing shows. Like, they're getting their, like... They're getting they're either like they're like vows renewed or they're just marrying someone or they're just doing comedy shows. It's okay. yeah. it's like the, the phrase like going native in anthropology. It's just like just start doing comedy at everyday events. <laughs> yeah, don't do it at separate events. Just start doing it at other people's events. I think they are doing it like on the subway, which I think is kind of tight. Cool to just do comedy on the. It's what Amador is all about. He got us this far. Yeah, that's yeah. A legalized comedy movement. Yeah, just doing rogue comedy shows and <laughs> <laughs> subways and the restaurant and the transportation hub. All right. Uh, yeah. So we got <laughs> we got some stories to cover up up top. Um, Kenny, you wanted to talk about the uh, impeachment that none of us care about. No. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I honestly, I don't know about you guys. I have not been paying that much attention to it. It's kind of one of those stories that I think is a waste of time, especially since the Republicans came out beforehand and we're like, we're not going to vote to impeach. Uh, but it is kind of cool seeing the lawyers that Trump scrounged up because like, he literally couldn't find anybody to uh, defend him. So... Is it Boss Baby? Is his lawyer Boss Baby? 
No, it's always like one of those like uh, uh, TV ad lawyers or like a better call, better call Saul type. Like the the fucking prosecution came out with like this video and talked about you know how obviously he was inciting the riot, and then the defense lawyer came up and was like, "Woof, that that was that's a compelling case." For me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just like rambled on too. He was like, uh, "Why do we say things like this?" Senator from the great state of Kansas or Arkansas. And we all like states. I like my state. I like I'm proud that I know my senator. I know he's doing Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. He's he's doing crowd work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the impeachment. That fucking rules. I that's what I should be watching. Yeah, that's then he's like, oh doing. shit, I got the light. That's my time. Tip your weight staff. <laughs> I'm saying just do comedy everywhere. Yeah, that's see, Amador, you are allies with Trump's lawyer. He's trying to legalize comedy. He, he's on your side, there are, bud. There are strange bedfellows in this movement. I gotta say. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Speaking of riots, so on Sunday, I guess you'd call it a riot happened at a prison, and uh, was it St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah, so this is actually uh, the third um, protest uh, that they've had, actually. They apparently had their first one sometime in December. Um, but yeah, they're essentially, you know, protesting uh, on, you know, terrible conditions, you know, conditions that are obviously not, you know, in the interest of, I don't know, keeping people alive. Um so they've uh, basically been demanding, you know, PPE, uh, stuff like that, because there's a pandemic everywhere. What's crazy is I like because I texted uh, the group the article that morning and it was just kind of like the was it the NBC article was just like, yeah, they're like riding into prison. No one knows why. <laughs> and it's like immediately <laughs> my first thought was like, oh, it's because COVID. It's, like, very weird that, like, the mainstream media was just kind of, like, no one knows why they're doing this thing. It's, like, <laughs> I don't know. It seems like there's lots of reasons to do it. I was reading yeah. about it, and they said in Oregon, 45% of, like, guards are, like, refusing to take the shot or get their vaccines, which just seems insanely high. <laughs> it should be a fireball offense if you're, like literally locked in a like you're locked in a place with people and you're like yeah i'm not getting the shot because of uh alex jones or whatever they listen to this is all a good point but to be fair we are uh comedians and how many comedians want to get the vaccine mm. most comedians <laughs> should be in prison honestly we should free the prisoners <laughs> and lock up all the comics Um, yeah, you have anything else on that, guys? Um, I, I found a letter from an inmate, uh, there was this, uh, PSL article that I saw, um, and so I can read some of that if you all are interested. Yeah. Um, so this was back, I guess, around the first, uh, the first, uh, protest that they had. Uh, so on the morning of Tuesday, December 29th, 2020, uh, 50 inmates on at least two floors within Missouri St. Louis Justice Center 
uh, stood together in solidarity, in solidarity outside of ourselves as a form of peaceful protest to exercise our First Amendment right uh, to free speech in a peaceful attempt to voice our grievances. Um, and it goes on, but there are basically, uh, there's been a bunch of grievances uh, toward the management of the prison system there, and uh, they've largely gone unanswered. And they had learned from uh, sympathetic guards and correctional officers that you know, uh, the grievance goes maybe to the CEO, but like nothing happens past that. Like they're not going to do anything. Um, so they organized a protest demanding, you know, PPE uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, if, the, if the coverage, like uh, Travis is saying, you know, they were perplexed at the causes, it's also like all the more jarring when. You know, typically, it's like really, really difficult story thing that nobody wants to talk about. I'm a journalist. I can't find a source. In what you just laid out, it's like sympathetic guards you know, aided in uh, conditions that made the protest possible. So it seems like you literally could have talked to anybody. You could have talked to guards and gotten an answer. <laughs> yeah. You could have talked to what? bars and gotten an answer. So there's really no excuse to be stupefied at why this is taking place. Not to mention, like, when you came in, you had to, like, probably surrender like, multiple belongings if you wanted to do an interview and, like, walk through a metal detector and walk by some boxes, like, through thick bulletproof glass and several people that were highly armed. Like, all that is very suggestive of something, I would think. Uh, and you have to be pretty dense not to, even just from the visuals, conclude anything. But you'd be surprised, like how 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 much people will resist reaching a radical conclusion, even when it's the obvious one. So, yeah. Well, well, and it's like the thing where no one, especially like I think like kind of like mainstream libs, don't want to believe they're the doing anything bad. So it's more convenient. It's like uh, they're rioting, and no one knows why. And it's like. <laughs> there's not like a lot of riots that happen for no reason it's not like oz it's not like they're not writing to move a story forward you know what i mean it's like <laughs> right, right. Like it's, yeah exactly it's not a performance and it's not a drama it's not like self-interested and yet like if you talk to people we'll do everything but come to the conclusion that prisons are bad that's like exactly how they fill in the blank right it's like people are complaining again and it's like <laughs> in that moment everything is equivocated like the woman at the grocery store who's like in a line that's taking a little bit too long and the person behind bars and this person's imagination become the same exact person just somebody somebody who's complaining yeah and someone throwing a tantrum because they don't get their way but they're like upset that they're dying and the lady is upset because Trader Joe's told her they were like wear a mask or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally worms for brain stuff. These prisoners are actually being Karens about their prison conditions. <laughs> it's like that level. <laughs> exactly. Don't don't let Samantha be here, you, because it might show up in the segment. Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's such a good point, though. I mean. To be fair to the mainstream media, I don't think we figured out uh, what happened at the Capitol yet. So if we can't figure that out, like, how are we going to figure out what's going on at a prison? Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of the Capitol, let the Yak Man testify at the impeachment hearing. Let the Yak Man speak. He wants to do it. Let him do it. Who cares? Embrace the left, Yak Man. Read some read some marks and join us. Join us, QAnon Yak. He probably listens to Father John Misty. Oh, that we would... Him, we can get him there. Yeah. I, yeah, it would be easy to get him to... Yeah, there's some lefties that are like, look, these guys dress like you. And you'd be like, tight, and then slowly indoctrinate the Yak guy. Then run him in 2024 as our as our candidate. <laughs> he's apparently an improv guy, right? Like, he's an actor. Really? They're all actors. All the QAnon he's people are actors. An improv person. What a good defense! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I was just yes anding. They stormed the Capitol, <laughs> and I yes anded and followed their lead. This is just method acting. Yeah. I'm getting into character for a movie with De Niro. It's called Bad Grandpa Two. King of comedy. This is where it goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So the next one we want to cover is uh, the Amazon uh, union battle happening in uh, Alabama. And Amador, I think you have some stuff on that, correct? Yeah. So I, I found this uh, Intercept article that was talking about how. Oh, it was actually from Lee Fong. The online left loves Lee Fong. Oh, that cool uh, but, guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy on Twitter that everyone's getting in fights with. Um, he uh, came out with a piece uh, basically talking about how the uh, Alabama warehouse hired a Coke-backed anti-union consultant. Um, Coke like the brothers or the cola? Uh, They're Coke, both not yeah, like good. The, but Like the Coke brothers. Okay, yeah. you just need to clear it up. Yeah, yeah, both both capable of doing this. I'm yeah, because sure. <laughs> they both like absolutely orchestrated coups for <laughs> so yeah. or had a part in it. Take a lot of sugar to make coke. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this coke backed anti union consultant, his name is Russell Brown, um, and he was hired on January 25th, and he is being paid uh, three thousand dollars a day plus expenses. Uh, to dissuade your workers from unionizing. Uh, it's so, a, I don't know, maybe... Uh, it's really tight when they're like, look, we can't afford to pay workers like $20 an hour. And they're like, let's give this one guy $3,000 to wear like a fake mustache and break up a union. You know the French Scorsese is going to make a movie about that guy. <laughs> oh, oh DiCaprio's going to win an Oscar for being in the movie that... <laughs> As a union like I, union buster. I know, I know nothing about this busting guy, but I mean Leonardo DiCaprio could play it. Yeah, especially now, like fat Leo. I imagine he's like a fat sweaty guy. Leo's a sweaty big guy now. <laughs> <laughs> he could do it. Imagine imagine being approached by Leonardo DiCaprio and he's like, Don't join your union. <laughs> be like, yeah. <laughs> that's what they should do if, if they wanted a union bust and like have some people fall for it it's like get famous people yeah to, to union bust it's like well, you mean, get army hammer in there and we'll, oh yeah everyone will be like oh fuck this guy's gonna eat me if i don't like well alex that's know. like actually like like a like 
I'm surprised they haven't like done that tactic yet. Because like Aaron Sorkin is like insane like against unions. Like I listened to this podcast, uh the Dave Anthony host called the West Wing thing, and they just play clips of him like screaming about like unions and articles and how he like hates them and they're like not fair to him as a genius. Like just get Aaron Sorkin to write a PSA and have like, I don't know, Bradley Cooper be like, This is why unions are bad. Totally. I don't know if we should be doing this, giving them free advice. Yeah. Actually, unions, just keep doing that weird shit that uh, United did. Alex, did you see the United thing? Uh, it's like, it. Yeah, like, you could buy a PlayStation and not join a union. <laughs> I, should, I, should, I should clarify that I'm pro-union. Yeah, we're all... <laughs> I have helped start the, on the union side. But if I wasn't, you'd never be careful. Yeah. We could flip it though. We could get DiCaprio to like tell people to join unions. We could be like, "It's me. Catch me if you can. Joining the union." And they'd be like, "Oh, tight." Like the movie you were in. Themes to old shows that are anti-union, like in Post. Like <laughs> you're, you're watching Gilmore Girls, added anti-union scene. Like, what before? They should just do that. Yeah, like just a deep fake, it. like a deep fake of them just like talking about how unions ruin. Wherever Rhode Island town they're in, I don't know where they're from. Gilmore Girls. Stars Hollow. Stars Hollow. <laughs> it's just like the town was good until unions came. It's like it's a free market zone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a company town. Yeah. So Amazon's working really hard to like stop this from happening, right? Like they Absolutely. were trying to get them to make it like uh, so they couldn't vote uh, by mail. Which, I don't know, sounds like a thing that works in politics, right? Remember when they tried to do that earlier? Absolutely. Vote by mail is, is super secure. Absolutely secure. Yeah. Uh, they also did this crazy thing where they uh, were, like, fucking with, like, the traffic lights in the town. Which is, like, what they did in the Italian job. Did At the end of the Italian job, to get away with the heist. They had, like, Seth Green, like fuck with the traffic lights so amazon's yeah. cool it's crazy uh so this warehouse it's in uh bessemer alabama um and basically the only things uh in bessemer alabama is a amazon warehouse and a prison um and it's like a suburb of i think birmingham or something like that so it's it's not a big like place and so Amazon could abs- – I imagine they're there for a reason, right? So they can you know, throw their weight around, and it's easier to do that in the South. Well, and that's absolutely why they have like access to Italian job, the traffic lights. Because <laughs> yeah. this town well, is happens. probably like, do whatever the fuck you want. Just please, we need these jobs. It's like what happens if you do – Foucault, like roller coaster tycoon. <laughs> 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 it's just everything is a fucking prison everywhere. I do like the idea of like Amazon putting their warehouses in prison towns and then like scattering the prisons being like, that's like a good idea about how we could do that. Like, he just st- like a guy with like notepad, just like jotting down how to make his warehouses more like a prison. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. 
And also, is it just a warehouse? Like, is it? I I really actually haven't read too much about the facility itself. But is it is it like a processing warehouse? Does anybody know? Um, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I I do think that it's they just. It seems like they're moving stuff. They're doing Amazon things. I don't know. Like, captive towns freak me out. It's like you can you can work at the prison, you can work at the Walmart. You work at the Amazon. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's and scary. That's like, that's like more and more of the country and more and more of these like who who exits off the highway here, right? Like who exits off the interstate right. here? Like more and more of those towns in America, it's like those three options. Like Yeah. School <sighs> It's weird. Well, I've been uh, reading uh Nevada is Oh yeah. To, let's, let's uh, Passed a law that uh, would encourage uh, company towns, uh, essentially. Yeah. But they're like tech cities. They're calling them tech cities, but they're like, you can set the rules. You can turn your employees into the husk monster from Kevin Smith's husk if you want to. We don't care. Just please. We need the jobs. I don't know. That's... It's wild to be living through this moment in a period where we've been subjected to like funny versions of these things, but in like the form of tropes in like our media. So it's like history is happening and it's like the early 20th century, the labor movement's coming back because working conditions are so bad. The difference is like, I bet there was, I don't, I don't know if there's any record of this, but I bet there was so much less humor about it. And I wonder, I wonder if that hurts us at all. That we're like, it's just like absurd is our reaction rather than militants. And it's like reacting to the absurdity of it. It's just like, I just, I laugh and bellow at it versus like I form. Ideally you want to do both. You want to like laugh with your comrades. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that. I think about that a lot. Like, okay. Like every headline is just more ridiculous, and it's like pummeling. Like it, it really makes me want to laugh, and it should at the same time make you really mad, make you want to cry. So it's like, how are we supposed to deal with all these feelings? You're no, that's that's interesting. Yeah, because it is like Mr. Burns style shit, where it's like Mr. Burns <laughs> would start like a town, like a like a town that's just like we make the rules here, then like do fucked up shit to like homer and people would be like that was a funny episode but jeff yeah. bezos is like do trying to do that for real yeah no it's just like i imagine then you just had to like experience and then interpret your experience and your experience wasn't like automatically a reference to something right like, oh yeah it's like mr burns like you were just saying it's like what does that do to us <laughs> it's uh... it's also like I don't know, kind of ironic that the, like, growing up with <laughs> the Iraq war, like, it's also kind of ironic that the party of, like, hyper-patriotism is, like, now, like, isn't it cool that we can have these multinational corporations set up their own unaccountable governments within our, on our soil? That's... Yeah, I mean, N- Nevada is the experimental playground for tech companies now I, I was listening to a podcast today where they were talking about um what's his name is it thomas thomas friedman uh they're talking about his like his son whose like life goal is to like 
start up these like weird little like towns in the middle of the sea so they could like just do whatever the fuck they want. And they, yeah, and they move past. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I just know about it. Go ahead, go ahead. It's yeah, they didn't go into like depth about it. Uh, so if you have any, but it just seemed like an insane idea. No, when when I first came across it, it was like hanging out with libertarians in like 2010, and it was like, what would you run into? You would run into like. You know, cryptocurrency is like, let's get away from the U.S. dollar, let's have our own money, let's print our own guns with 3D guns, and let's, like, build our own islands. The actual attempt to make self-sufficiency true, like, using technology in, like, some, some weird, fantastical, like, Terry Gilliam kind of way, and it's like... It used to be that you could make fun of libertarians with like cheap gotyas where you would be like, Oh, like you're a libertarian? When's the last time you drove on a road? And they were like, Good luck now, because I can print a road of my own. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're figuring out ways to 3D print the things they used to be able to say they couldn't achieve on their own. It really is like a weird libertarian is like a weird like baby ideology. Would it, like wouldn't it be cool if we lived like in like Atlantis and there were like no rules or bedtimes? It's like I don't know, I guess. <laughs> but you're thirty three and you should not think that. I actually think uh, Nathan Robinson, the editor of uh, Current Affairs, has a book that he did like a children's book on libertarianism. <laughs> it's like just a bunch of libertarians on an island. It's pretty much like what you're saying, Gary. It's just like bunch of goofballs like trying to act out freedom on this island. <laughs> it, yeah, it's but now they've moved to just being like, what if we had like company towns again? And it's like, no, go back to the weird things. Yeah. Go back to like Elon Musk being like, I wanna have like a I wanna make people like slaves on Mars, like some Philip K. Dick novel. Like that's because that's not gonna happen. And it's funny. The sea towns, it's like that's stupid and <laughs> like, like let's set up company towns is terrifying. But yeah, go back to like the Matrix and Thirteenth Floor. Yeah, go, go back to these techno utopias that are that are based on the, the fulfillment of total individual freedom. Go build your digital island in Minecraft, please. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> World build on the internet. Oh. It's like, weird that one of these, like, creeps hasn't tried to, like, colonize, like, Antarctica yet. Oh, I mean, if we want to get, like, if we, if we want to get concrete to some very interesting, like, local stuff. So there's this uh, former council member from, from the San Antonio City Council. He used to be the, the District 2 council member. Uh, his name was Alan Warwick. He wore a bow tie a lot. Um, he, was all, he was the council member who... Um, was kind of disgraced because he like fell asleep drunk outside of city hall oh then, yeah yeah i remember that now and he, he tried to blame the bar for having spiked his drink which is a really like aggressive claim to make because you're like saying yeah. that bar is dangerous and obviously yeah. that bar is not going to like that reputation for themselves economically so they produced like the security tape of the entire night <laughs> <laughs> In plain view, 
you can see that there's no tampering with this guy's drink. And so he basically had to come clean that he had like this in order to try to evade responsibility. Well, and I imagine they could just pull up his tab and be like, look, he had like 47 like vodka grand vodka grands or something. <laughs> that that guy, that guy turns up in a documentary recently about colonizing Puerto Rico and trying to turn Puerto Rico into an island Silicon Valley. So there's like a cryptocurrency guy who looks like he uh like I don't know, like a, he looks like a small Shannon Hoon from like Blind Melon. Okay. Or or like uh like Captain Jack Sparrow, like he's definitely got like steampunk energy to him. <laughs> but he's a he's a cryptocurrency billionaire and he wants to turn Puerto Rico into the new Silicon Valley and Alan Warwick, the former San Antonio City Council member, is like his right hand man. And I'm like that is insane that's, that's blowing my that's mind. like that's, a crazy thing to like look at a country that exists as a country with citizens and be like man we could like totally turn you into <laughs> we could totally turn you into like the town from cyberpunk oh totally <laughs> just and got they, rid of they, these they, like, people <laughs> they like had a sales pitch right they were like you were devastated from a hurricane your economy fell out you know this is a way of like getting back on your feet as a as a community and just like they're like politically wise because they've gone through like hundreds of years of like neglecting colonialism. So they, they've like seen everything come by them 10 times. And so like immediately in this documentary is like Alan Warwick tries to give his little presentation <laughs> and like, it's just local women just ripping into him. And it's nice. so sad. It's so satisfying because they, they look like they want to eat them alive. And, and like, San Antonio, San Antonio's finest, right? It's like, I always love to trace where these people end up. Man, it's just... That's... That's... That's so insane that that's their sales pitch after what Puerto Rico (laughs) went through with the hurricane. It's like, yeah, we did... Yeah, and you guys did... Like, the United States did nothing to help us. We're Americans. Yeah, not, not to mention, like, you know, the hurricane... Hurricane Maria was, like, a catastrophic disaster that like you know the the damage from it it's like you know not even quite it's like the shock doctrine it's like okay you were totally decimated by this event we're going to use it to restructure you financially all these predatory people from abroad are going to show up with their you know get rich quick schemes to 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 reform the space into something new like the silicon valley idea and it's like okay the, the, the issue with that is, um, like, that in Puerto Rico, there's, like, a set of, a set of billionaire folks that, like, want to privatize the water system. That's what the mm-hmm. Permanent Act is all about, so it's part of the restructuring. And when a guy like Alan Warwick shows up with his bow tie... <laughs> the shit face. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like... It's, it's the stuff we were talking about before. It's like this actually severe structural thing of like disaster capitalism. But then you get the Mr. Burns like jokey element when it's this guy that's doing it. It's right. like a guy with a bow tie shows up and a guy who looks like a small Shannon Hoon shows up to it. It's like, I oppose you because you're a capitalist, but I also laugh at you because this is hilarious. Yeah, because it's like Zap Brannigan in the... Yeah. <laughs> it's Zap Brannigan and like some steampunk vampire who <laughs> just show up and are like 
This like, doesn't make any sense. We could <laughs> turn your country into a Best Buy. <laughs> like, no, go yeah. away. <laughs> and like, you know, just just thinking about it some more. You know, like it was a natural disaster and it decimated the country. And like the remedy, the remedy to a natural disaster should not be to invite another kind of environmental disaster. If you look at where the Superfund sites are at, which is like an EPA category for like highly polluted environments, like if, if, if you're designated a Superfund site, it's like you've got some serious pollution. That the biggest concentration of Superfund sites is in Silicon Valley because it costs <laughs> it costs quite a bit on your environment to produce so many electronics. Right. Yeah. And like you know, do do that 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 you know processing of fine metals. And so like you want to turn Puerto Rico into the next Silicon Valley and like run it through another type of man-made natural disaster and just like load it with Superfund sites. And it's like callousness on top of callousness. Uh, yeah it's never direct aid or like let them like prosper it's always like or you know just survive it's always like centered around like no like we have a new get rich quick scheme like we have a new mlm scheme like (laughs) it's always grifter shit it's so weird we can identify all these things (laughs) and it happens everywhere it's crazy And the actors are always so corny. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even, like, put any production value into it's, it. It's weird. So I've thought about this a lot. Like, so I – it's, like, not a secret that I have, like, issues with drugs. And I read, like, all, like, Artie Lang, uh, Belushi books. I read Farley books. So I knew that drugs, like, Richard Pryor, I knew drugs, like, killed these people I, like, admire. But I was still like, yeah, I'm going to do them anyway. Like, this is not going to end poorly. Like, I feel like libertarians do that with sci-fi novels. Like, they read, like, a Philip K. Dick thing. And then, like, the last, like, 30 pages be like, I get the gist of it before, like, everything implodes. And they're just like, wouldn't it be great if we had RoboCop? So it's like, you've never seen the last third of RoboCop. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And all these, like, dystopian futures, they cast themselves as, like, the Mad Max and not the slave that's like chained to the front of the main guy's like fucking car or like Max. The weird. That like, was Max. Guy. Yeah, that was Mad Max who was chained to the car. So they do envision right. stuff as Mad Max, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Your metaphor is straight. You're, this is a it's serious been a, podcast. It's been, it's been a long week. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I think that's a good transition. Kenny's uh, huge flub is a uh, good opportunity to move on to the main, uh, the meat potatoes of the podcast uh, this week. So, Amador, uh, I'll let you take this. What are we talking about? Um, so, uh, you know, we are all from Central Texas, right? Um, we know, you know, the things that are generally happening around here. And I just kind of wanted to make a point of like bringing up how uh, there's like a drastic difference between the way uh, homeless people are treated in San Antonio versus Austin. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know like, you know, we've kind of talked about this like quite a bit, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, in San Antonio, uh, there's been like recent sweeps, like of different encampments. Um, obviously, this, uh, you know, isn't unique to San Antonio. Unfortunately, like you know, this happens all over the country. Um, but there's kind of an immediacy to this, and um, I don't know. Like, um, I guess you know. For those listening, like Austin City Council, like, you know, bought hotels, is providing, you know, like temporary housing for these people. Um, and in San Antonio, they will like put out a headline that they're thinking about doing it, but nothing ever happens. Like there's no movement there. And uh, Alex, I know that, you know, you, uh, you know, you know a lot about uh this kind of stuff local politics and stuff um and so i just kind of wanted to you know talk about that um if that's cool yeah yeah totally totally um yeah so where 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 to begin i think you know what you said about this is true across the country i think that that's a that's an important place to start that like you know i think we we got tripped up you know we we started to critique gentrification and I think our first phase of gentrification criticism was like to keep it on the cultural level. It's like skewer the archetype, right? It's like we've all seen the Schwinn bike riding, right? Have, have blue ribbon drinking, Sufjan Stevens listening. You can do this stuff all day. You can just continue to list things that like the ornaments of this person and like, you know, in a way, it was like to signal intelligence. It's like, look, I've assessed and I, I, I like picked up on a pattern. I'm like, here it is again. Right? Like, I right. Do, I do like a book. But keeping it there, it's like, okay, now we see the limit to that because in cities like Austin, cities like San Francisco, in cities like New York, the gentrifier historically having displaced someone else, oftentimes black communities is now also being gentrified or you know, feeling the economic heat of rising rent. That's right. because you never, un under, you, know, you never address the underlying problem. You only, you know, you, you, you identify a symptom of it, that this type of person shows up who has these cultural habits and has these tastes. And, but the problem was always political economy. It's that land appreciates value. And, and there's no necessary ceiling on it. Um, and as this process takes place, like, yeah, some different characters are going to show up and, and enter and exit the picture. But if you just stick there, it's like you're not going to have the right critique. Right? And so I would, I would you know, say that that's true. It's like we have, to, we have to take the picture back to, like, there's no ceiling on rising rents. Anywhere where capitalism exists, you know, we're stuck in what's called rent gap theory. Rent gap theory is basically kind of the cyclical nature of it. It's, you know, you systematically divest from a place so that the only people who can afford to live there are the poorest folks. And, you know, other folks move to the suburbs. This is the story of the 20th century. You build a highway out to the suburbs. Um, and now it's the inverse. And, and this is what rent gap theory is. It's like, okay. You've, you've depreciated the property values so much in a place historically that you've now made it very cheap to invest in it. And so capital flies back in cyclically. 
And so you've got reverse white flight, right? You've got right. folks coming back to downtowns to get tech jobs. And so you get this cyclical problem with it. And so in that process, as rents go up, literally the economic matrix changes the value of, of the land beneath people's feet. And it's like anywhere that capitalism is happening uh, and the capitalism is organizing the housing system, this is what's happening. What, what you know, we've seen, even in the Austin case, is, is, is mitigation. It's at least like pointing towards a paradigm of like, you know, you, you cannot solve the, the inevitable ejection and displacement of people from stable housing to the streets as a result of inaffordability, you know, um, by putting people in cages. Austin is at least at that phase, right? In some of its context, right? It's not like you know, there's nobody arguing for Red Vienna, and there's 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 obvious reasons for that. It's like you know, Texas is a property rights state, right? Here, here, you know, if we were to try to do something like you know where you see the rest of the housing movement globally, I think some of the bright stars globally are like Ada Colau in, in Spain and Barcelona. Who came out of the tenants movement? You know, basically in Barcelona they were dealing with Airbnb was artificially driving rents up because of tourism, and properties were being bought bought up as Airbnbs, and the people who actually lived there couldn't find a place to live because every, everywhere was an Airbnb. Uh, so Ada Colau comes out of the housing movement, and um, you know, the the tourism economy was driving rents up, and so people were getting displaced, and then once they were being displaced, these properties then abandoned by their original tenants were being rebought, turned into Airbnbs, as I said, and they set up a, a tenants union and, and they said, you know, when you face eviction, like we'll mobilize as a tenants union and what we're going to do as a tenants union is we're going to squat where you live. Right? We're going to squat with you where you live. And it became such a headache to landlords that landlords would eventually walk away from the problem. And they did this so effectively, so well. Um, as an anti-eviction blockade that like you, you garner a political profile from having been involved in this activity. And that's what Ada Kalau comes from. Right? She comes from the housing movement in Barcelona. And she eventually became mayor of Barcelona. And once mayor implemented programs to capture the housing as public housing, that the eviction blockades had gotten landlords to surrender. So they had a tactic on the ground eviction blockades that were getting these landlords to walk away from the pro uh, property. And then they had an activist mindset politician who developed programs to absorb those properties and make them public. So you had the conversion of private asset assets into public goods. Literally expropriation. Right? Like, we are not there in Texas. Right. Not at all, yeah. It's a property rights state, but we at least understand that, like, you don't put people in cages for this stuff. So, you know, Guys like Greg Kassad and really, you know, movements like grassroots leadership, um, you know, AJC, Homes Not Handcuffs, like, you know, a ton of people organizing around those efforts uh, are making these arguments and you know, they're doing it compellingly because it's becoming more and more untenable to more and more people that, you know, I was watching the Austin City Council meeting the other day and Councilwoman Harper said, you know, there are 55 homes for sale in the entire city of Austin. Oh, wow, think, really? Yeah, think about that. <laughs> you know, 
the entire city, there are 55 homes that are that are that are for sale. Um, and the, the point of this being is like, you know, you've got so many places across the country where there's increasingly a larger and larger number of homeless people, and also alongside that, empty properties. And anybody yeah. without a, without a degree, right? You don't need any any complex or fancy degree to understand this. Like a kid would, which is the way that we should, because trying to understand it and its sophistication like turns you into a ghoul over time and that is oh, like yeah. sure <laughs> homeless person next to an empty house like why isn't this a solvable well, problem well there was that thing uh that kind of i don't i don't think it was like a mainstream news thing but it was going around like lefty twitter for sure of like the people camping in front of like an abandoned um property somewhere in california and them just playing like the barney theme song on a loop and yeah. like having floodlights is like that's literally what they did like at Gitmo. Like yeah. you have an empty place and you're like doing like war crime tactics to get people. Like, uh, you could like let them use your warehouse. Like psychological warfare, and it's like you know, if 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 you read about like um, the Cuban Revolution, you'll come across the the phrase in leftist circles like, "Why did we?" go through so much trouble to like overthrow Castro, like 300 plus assassination attempts. And the phrase that'll come up is the threat of a good example. Like a lot of this isn't even about the legitimacy of the thing you would do if you won, right? Like this idea of there's homeless people and there's an empty house. And like, it seems very obvious what to do in that scenario. It's not necessarily about that contained universe of facts. It's about, like, if this happens, what's the slippery slope? Like, if we can apply this elementary logic to this problem, how many other problems in society have elementary logic that we <laughs> that we could apply and thus solve? It's like going yeah. back to, to David Hume. It's like David Hume said 600 years ago, how is it that very, very few people uh, rule and very, very many are ruled? Like, why isn't there constant revolution? And it's like, yeah, it's kind of like an interesting point because it's kind of an elementary understanding of things. And I'm, I kind of I kind of like that we're returning to that sort of perspective on things. It's like, yeah, there is so few of them and so many of us. Like, hey, wait a minute, right? It's yeah. like, and, and at least, at least, right, there, there is some, some you know, drawing of dividing lines like that in Austin that, like, this is not a problem that will be addressed by, you know, criminalization. This is not a problem that will be addressed by two hotels, frankly. But we right. at least understand that, like, sheltering people <laughs> is more like the solution, ultimately, than caging people. Sure. Thinking that the fallout of capitalism should mean handcuffs on a person. Yeah. Uh, so Austin's further along in that way. They've got some folks that understand that on the council. Yeah. I think in the San Antonio case, you know, our, our politics are just, you know, they're, they're, they're more, uh, they're more immature in their development. I don't mean immature but on, in, in the sense of like, you know, I put a whoopee cushion in the seat. I, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like in terms of development, it's yeah, like, a whoopee cushion in the seat is more of a legalized comedy tactic. Than yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's a tactic we got to get to, it's a tactic. It's a tactic we got to get to. Yeah. It's like if we got to put a whoopee cushion in the seat of the next Saha president, 
but the point being that, like, you know, I think there is just this bigger picture that's harder to deny, right? Like, if you catch me in friendly company, I say the facts have a communist bias. Uh, if you catch me in, like, non-friendly company and I have to dress that up a little bit, it's like, at the very least, it's like the facts have a system change bias. And I think that's because, like, you look at your bills and they stack up and you're broke. You look at the climate and it's on fire. Like, just the, 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 raw, the raw facts of the world indicate to more people <laughs> that, like, yeah. something's got to give, right? Um, and so I think, like, in, the, in that process, in that zeitgeist, you're going to see a lot of people looking for ideas that help make that world make sense. And you're going to see uh, a gas pedal in both directions. You're going to see what you do, right? Like, radicalism on the right, like, people going real hard at the prospect that this stuff means we're on the fast road to communism and they're going to cling to their guns and their religion and their eschatological theories about, you know, a catastrophe if that happens. And meanwhile, you're going to see some liberals who are maybe progressive, like, come over to our side because their positions just are no longer responsive. They're no longer... Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to kind of say. Sorry to cut you off. But, like, um, I think in Austin and Kenny, I don't know how it is in Seattle, but we're both, like... Seattle's fully like a kind of like run by tech. Austin's getting there. And I've seen friends that were just kind of like libs become more radicalized as like, as what you said, they've seen their conditions kind of decrease and it getting more expensive for them just to survive. And then they become more radicalized. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like not, not an automatic thing by any means. I don't mean to make it sound like the deterministic, right. but it's at least a conditions against which ideas you may have always had make sense, right? Like I make this point about Bernie Sanders that like Bernie Sanders spent a lot of time in the political wilderness because like he was a, he was Bernie Sanders through like the eighties, yeah. the very <laughs> hard, the decadent, yeah, yeah. It's like, but what he did do over a period of, like, losing uh, politically is, like, accumulate integrity. And, like, a normal politician might go, okay, I tried something, I lost, I need to hire a consultant to help me recalibrate. And that's because the goal of that person is to win. It's like, I want the message, the position that wins. So I'm going to recalibrate. In other words, I'm not coming to the position with a value set that I'm willing to lose for. And like want to win versus Bernie Sanders is like I'll win I'll, I'll, I'll win by losing you know for for 30 40 years but when conditions catch up to me uh, you know I'm gonna have something that nobody else in the room has you know right. and, and it's the basic thing that like when you talk to somebody who's not even engaged in this stuff it's like oh I don't like po politics because everybody's a liar so it's like Okay, the truth is suddenly a weapon. It's like at least Bernie Sanders has been saying the same thing for forty years. <laughs> I know he's yeah. not lying. Right. It's the, it's the it's the idea of ideas whose time has come. It's like the backdrop allows you to tell a story that makes more sense to more people. You still have to tell the story. You can't let the conditions do it on its own because right. people can just as easily slip into like depression <laughs> as they can like radicalization and, and organizing. So, I mean, you still need to insert yourself in that equation as an organizer, right? Um, Absolutely. But, but new prospects, right? Like, new prospects, for sure. Um, I, 
I am heartened to see, like, you know, a guy like uh, Roberto Trevino has been, like, going to bat for housing. Because I think, like, you know, I do, I do think some of this is going on potentially in his head. You know, he fought for the right to cure. He fought for the risk mitigation fund. Um, he's now standing alongside the homeless people who camp out in front of his office and he's saying, he's saying things like, you know, um, I dare you to stop me. And it's like, I think, I think he's rubbed, he's rubbed up against reality, uh, and is acting more like reality demands he act, which is like, I recognize that as a positive and I hope it's not transient, right? Like you always got to measure that against time or like, you know, in six months when we're out of campaign season, is it going to be the same tone? Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I've I've definitely heard that about him, uh, just you know, from talking to like other organizers and stuff, and they're like, okay, like this guy, I'm glad that he's standing, you know, up for you know the the homeless, but um, is this guy for real? And I was like, well, I and I'll point to certain things. And I'm like, you know, I don't really know like him or anything like that. Like, but it's also like you know the bar feels so low here in San Antonio, where it's like. It's like you have to, like I don't know, man. Like so, hold on to that, and and yeah, definitely judge it with time. You know, like don't just like. So in San Antonio, I, I don't know, obviously they're him, kind right, but, of obviously in San Antonio they're cracking down on kind of the encampments. Uh, so you don't have like, it's you don't have like the ten cities, right? It's not like legal because in Austin, I it's legal to have the ten. So is it against the law to have? Yeah, yeah. So this yeah. is one of the this is one of the interesting things, right? Uh, Homestead handcuffs fought for the repeal of three ordinances that criminalized homelessness. It's like ordinances that criminalized panhandling, uh, criminalized sleeping in place, lying in place, stuff like that. And when they got them repealed, the obvious consequence was that homeless folks became more visible. Sure. Because you can be out in public, presumably with a little bit more with a little bit more security that you won't be arrested for something. Like right, that. the threat right. of like being imprisoned for trying to live is sort like of out of criminalizing the criminalizing existence yeah. on the sidewalk. For, like for people misdiagnose their their presence as a result of decriminalization as a worsening of the homelessness problem simply because they've become more visible. Now, there are, again, under any housing system being organized by capitalism, going to generate homeless people. It's like property values are just right. But their visibility is exactly what Save Austin now uh, weaponizes to say, like, look at how awful it's gotten. Look at how, just over the last six months, they think that the gas pedal has been hit on on the rise of homelessness. The number of has actually, I think, you know, don't quote me on the numbers, but it's fluctuated. And there's been moments where it's it's dwindled in number, but they look at the visual of, of just being able to see people and they say like, oh, it's worse than it's ever been. Yeah. So City of Austin now is like, I guess just for context, it's like a, it's on their website, they say that they're a nonprofit org. They were founded in 2019 uh, by a local Republican uh I don't know. Wait, Republican. what? It Republicans? Republican. That doesn't seem like something they would do. Is a scare no, 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 campaign hold for? Hold on. It's also co-founded by a local Democratic activist. So this is centrism at its worst. Uh, yeah. But like, I was I was reading their mission statement, and it says 
Our mission is to educate and mobilize Austin residents against critical quality of life issues. So that really speaks to like uh, Alex, what you're saying, you know, like the whole visibility of, of, you know, homeless people means, you know, that, oh, like our living, my life is being impacted for the worst, right? Um, and it's like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, obviously like a kind of like NIMBY reaction um to that whole thing uh also surprise surprise leadership of of the save austin now also includes uh a cop so i got I thought, like I, was oh, man. I thought you were gonna say acon and i was like oh. <laughs> the rapper acon is part of the save austin now campaign they also have a sitting city council member now they actually oh, oh. yeah oh, oh wow to propel somebody from that movement to council, uh, Mackenzie Kelly, uh, who, who replaced Jimmy Flanagan. Um, and, and, and so, you know, these, these, these debates being had on the Austin City Council are harder than they used to be in some ways because, you know, now there's the institutionalization of their movement. And it's like, now they have a council member that, they, that, that has a soapbox and has the dais makes these issues much, much harder. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about like, okay, I see this happening in San Antonio on housing. I see this happening in Austin on housing. I see this happening in Dallas, San Marcos, Laredo. And I'm like, to the people who have similar-ish politics, like, are they chatting with one another and are they forming city-to-city networks? Because I, like that, that is what needs to be told and it's like one of the ways you can add some potency to your individual fight if you're an isolated council member on a council like you know Roberto might be on the San Antonio City Council is one of the ones that's sticking his neck out the most about right. this, this housing issue you know if him and Greg were to say more often like you know we are fighting for housing issues in Central Texas the narrative changes from lone wolf council member black sheep council member on this city council by themselves to like here's two visible people you can link up with for for a problem that's common among these two cities which also teaches the people of both cities to look at one another and find each other it's just like better organized yeah that's definitely a good point like i and why like when i wanted to talk about this i wanted to kind of mention it as a central texas problem because i i do see you know like you've said, you know, there's like sort of a paradigm shift in Austin. It's like, well, you know, what what are like all the, you know, you know, the jokes that come out of San Antonio and Austin? It's like, which one's better? And like, I don't know, like maybe we should have a chip on our shoulder about that and be like, hey, like we need to figure out, you know, like how. I don't know if a joke about tacos is going to make, you know, the the connection or what, but like, yeah. Like we we never have the right beef, right? It's like some, yeah, some pseudo beef. <laughs> yeah, it's like look, there's probably good tacos in Austin. Maybe not. I don't know. Who cares? Like, let's. Oh yeah, we have good tacos here. Have you ever heard together. of? Uh, have you ever heard this place called uh, Taco Cabana? We have that here. <laughs> so we <laughs> we have good tacos here. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. One thing that I've always thought about Taco Cabana is I actually don't know what a cabana is. 
<laughs> like I know the setting to the cabana fits into. Like I know it's beachy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, what makes a cabana different from a shack? Or like, oh, it's a palm stru- tree. Structurally, I palm tree is just like a or something, right? Yeah, I think like a palm. Also, I think taco shack sounds kind of like gross, like dirty place, <laughs> like run by like some like four hundred pound like. Escape bank robber? That's what like that's Taco like, Shack sounds like. That's like when you go to your third Taco Cabana because you really want this one thing, but none of the Taco Cabanas have had it. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you go to Taco Shack. <laughs> yeah, they have everything. They have like a grill with like all the meats on it. <laughs> They're not separated. <laughs> no. No, de- but definitely, definitely, Amador. It's like, you know, there's, there's so many other ways to compare the cities that like. Are, are are more substantive and and would, would move us in the right direction if we're like concerned with, with justice and ameliorating preventable suffering, which should, should always be the measuring stick of what the fuck you're, you're up to, especially if you're in office. It's like you know, I I think all campaign rhetoric is bullshit if there's one homeless person on your street. It's like you know, it's just like what your compass should be. You know, it's like what. Why would you pat yourself on the back if you've got work to do? I mean, I get this kind of like, you know, burnout workaholic culture is maybe one reason to do that, but I mean, sure, yeah. definitely not true. It's not, it's not true for them. Right? They spend a lot of time in galas. And they spend a lot more time solving, solving preventable problems by, by going to bat for people. That's another issue is that, like, it's a lot of pageantry, right? You should be using the bias. And this is why I like Greg Kassar, because Greg Kassar knows how to point to a movement, and a, and a movement knows how to point back at him and there's a positive feedback loop, right? Like it's like the Bernie Sanders theory of change was the same thing. It's like, you know, Bernie Sanders is gonna need movements to move his agenda. Movements are gonna need a guy institutionally to pull the trigger. So it's like there, there can be this feedback loop, but it, it kind of depends on your attitude as an elected official. Like do you use the position to raise the consciousness of people in the city? Like one of the things and Seattle you know, for, for Kenny, it's like I think about like, you know, Kashama Sawan or Shama Sawan, right? or even, you know, a homie of mine, Sean Scott, who ran for city council there, who's really, really dope. He's a columnist. Um, but there are these people, and there's like more of them popping up uh, as the conditions do, right? Like it goes back to this big picture of like, as the conditions do what they're doing, it's like more of these people are going to start to figure this out and be like, we have lame politicians with learned helplessness. Or if they continue to steer the ship, are going to steer it, you know, off the flat Earth edge, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, I am a flat Earther, by the way. I just want him to like. <laughs> no, this is. We're also I flat Earthers that. too. Yeah, we're legalized comedy flat Earthers. We're all of it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like a. It's 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 really it's really awesome when when somebody actually has a sense of like how to use their seat, right? I, th- I thought a lot about this during defund because a lot of people were pointing fingers at defund for having like the same issue that Occupy did when like reporters tried to talk to Occupy and they were like, where's your leadership? And they're like, we're all leadership and reporters were, were, were just befuddled. Like, <laughs> they don't know what to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> like the same kind of thing with like defund. It's like a lot of people who were in the center and liberal were like the flaws of that movement was that you allowed yourself to be so open so as to be defined by your opposition. Like, what does defund mean? It's like, well, yeah, every elected official who was out there could have done a lot 
to like make what defund as a concept is very clear. And if you've got voters that you know didn't allow you to use defund language or because it wasn't clear to you, and like as a result you don't feel like you can raise the politics, like you can also use the seat to educate. So it's like right. you're complaining about not being able to move on this position because of who your voters are. It's like what did you do to move the voters if you didn't do shit? Like I don't know why you're sitting there. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. <laughs> In that sense, the feedback loop was not fulfilled, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, you got good folks in Austin. You got good folks in Seattle on the city councils. Um, and I think, you know, with this cycle, with, with some of the folks we got running, there's real potential for us to have good folks. And then the city-to-city tag team stuff can really get going. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I think I think that's a good place to kind of uh, wrap that up. Unless you got anything else you guys want to add to that, Burnell plugs. Oh no, we got one more segment before plugs, baby boy. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah. What is plugs? Oh, it's just plug what you. Uh... Yeah, we'll get to that. Amador, he he pulled a Kenny and flubbed. Everyone's flubbing today, I but flubbed. me. I flubbed it. All right. Um. Yeah. So. Now we're going to move on to... Um... Wait, so Mad Max was the guy <laughs> at the front of the car? <laughs> yeah, they like tied Mad Max to the front of the car. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, he has like the weird like metal mask on when he gets caught. It's like the second scene in the movie, Kenny. <sighs> I don't know, I must have missed it. Well, Insane the Lib Brain this week is Kenny. Speaking of Insane the Lib Brain... <laughs> Yeah, um, I changed, I changed it up. I changed up our theme song. Um, yeah, this week in, in on uh, for this week's insane deliberate, I want to talk about uh, David Hogg, Parkland shooting, uh, school survivor, father or son of a FBI agent, um, and uh, I guess an activist. Right? Is that you consider him an activist, right? Yeah. Oh, is Alex still with us? I don't know. Hope it says um, he's in the call. Oh yeah. Oh. Um. Um. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's famous for uh, surviving the Parkland shooting, um, and he started the. What's his organization called? That's it's... March for Our Lives. March for Our Lives. Yeah. Well, uh, he left uh, March for Our Lives. Um, this week. I don't know if it was. Uh, yeah. And uh, then he announced that he was starting a, a rival pillow company, the Good Pillow Company, <laughs> to rival the My Pillow guy. Um, a lot of people on Twitter are, you know, rightfully kind of questioning his motives and dragging him a bit for, you know, leaving this important thing to. Uh, start a pillow company to rival the courageous man on earth. <laughs> which, which, by the way, I watched his whole documentary. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. No. 
it's bad. Mike Lindell's documentary? Yeah, I was seeing if there was anything I could use yeah. on an episode. There's not. Um, <laughs> so, so David Hogg and uh, Mike Lindell, Mano y Mano in the Pillow Wars. Uh, he's <laughs> saying his pillow is going to be... Um, <laughs> He says his pillow is going to be in a uh, assembled in like a union factory, and he wanted a 50-50 split between male and female employees. Uh, who okay. knows of how much of that's coming true? Um, I don't know. I just think it's like very funny that he's like, I'm stepping down from my position in this organization to uh, become <laughs> become the good pillow <laughs> man. From activist to pillow tyrant, yeah. here is my story. That that can be like a new autobiography. It'll be good. <laughs> What's funny is they asked Mike Lindell about it, and he's like, well, I don't care if he makes a pillow. Just don't steal my patent. And it's like, what the fuck is a pillow patent? He's <laughs> 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 like, what's a patent for a pillow? Like, I don't know. I don't know how, if you guys have anything to add about that. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's cool that he – is a pillow guy. Will you guys be picking up the good boy pillow? I, I like that every like every now and again, uh, different items that you can buy get weaponized by like different political viewpoints, and you get fooled into like, hey, buying a pillow means that I um, support well, you know. I was laughing anti- about anti gun legislation well, we or whatever. Think- we shared this article, uh, Alex. I don't know if you saw about the Black Rifle Coffee Company. They were, oh, what was it? I don't remember what it was in the uh, Jacobin. I don't remember, but they wrote about like, like the rise of the Black Rifle Coffee Company and how like this com this company became like uber successful like overnight just by being like we're like the one coffee that's like not gay, and then like people like bought it. <laughs> And these guys are like millionaires now. It's like Mike Lindell did. Like he was just like a crazy infomercial guy who like smoked crack. And then he was like, oh, I'm like a Christian and like love Trump. And now he's like this weird like businessman. Like, yeah, it'll be weird if it'll be weird if David Hogg like tries to market to protesters. <laughs> like I'm <are, laughs> tired after a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Here, try the hog the the hog pillow. It's like... <laughs> you, you dream of a different world. <laughs> it's just like it. It's just like an ad. It's the beginning, like like a Kubrick style, like war shot. Just the just like a panning shot, and as they're shooting, their guns just disappear, and then it cuts to. Him like stretching in the morning and being like, "Do you dream of a better tomorrow? A tomorrow with no guns? <laughs> Try the." <laughs> it writes itself. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's gonna have help because his dad works for like the FBI or the CIA, so I'm sure they'll do some weird you... cointel pro <laughs> to make us buy his pillow. My... The thing that always hits my brain about stuff like that is like, how do you, how do you get into like an industry like pillow making like it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to innovate on right like, what yeah like i get i get when like nasa and like memory foam like i get they innovated on the pillow because like they, they they made a foam and it's like a special technology and it can like conform to your body shape and 
you can rest on it real nicely and it's different than like a pillow stuffed with feathers. And I get that. But what right. can David Hogg like, <laughs> what did, did David Hogg have around the house that he was like, hold up. Oh. Put this in the pillow instead. Like, what if he like, went full <laughs> fight club and it's just like he has like a Tyler Durden who's like put put fat in the pillow, use people's fat to make this pillow, and it's just like <laughs> Is it like, like <laughs> Oh, that'd be awesome if it's just like raw beef in like a pillowcase. It's the only pillow that bleeds. Yeah, I don't know. But like, with an industry like that, like, how do you wade in? Like, the real estate's been covered here. I with Mike Lindell, I think he is an insane person who's just like my pillow is the best, and people are like, he seems confident. Like, I think he got in just by like his sheer like. Drug-addled confidence. Yeah. He's like, my pillow's the fucking best. And people are like, all right. It's a weird thing to say. Like, Shark Tank rehearsed like eight times. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I was thinking about like Mike Lindell because when, when I made myself watch that documentary where I was like, this is the kind of guy who if I saw him at an open mic, I would come in from smoking to watch his set. So it's weird that he's successful. He's like the weird guy at the open mic who's like someone, Alex, who would be like the sports park bar where we met. Like one of those guys, right? That just like does that open mic only and shows up and is just like, the Jews have a space laser. The Jews have a space laser. And it'd be like, tight. Okay, cool. And I just listen to the guy's set. That plays. That plays. I don't know. I totally know what type of guy you mean. Right. It's like the, yeah, it's like a guy who doesn't do comedy, but like he has his like local spot that he goes up at and everyone knows him because he's insane and he buys people drinks. That's who Mike Lindell is, but somehow he became this guy who like is walking into a White House with like a piece of paper with treason, like do treason written on it. Totally. Like there's people that just end up in circumstances and you're like, How'd you get here? They're like, I really don't know. I just kind of rode the wave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's the Insane the Lib Brain um, take for the week. Um, before we get out of here, uh, you guys have any recommendations, things you're listening to, reading, watching? Yes. Nice. I have, I have been obsessed with, uh, and I'm blanking on his last name because I want to say it. I think it's Wilson, but How To with John Wilson. Oh, yeah. I've heard that's good. That shit is excellent. Nice. It is like It is like a first-person like monologue about some detail of life that like you don't pay close attention to. And he manages to be – he like has a really pointy monologue pretty much the whole time about whatever subject it is, and it'll like move you emotionally. But like the footage that he pairs it with is just like random street footage of New York. And, and it's just goofy. And so, like, for example, there's one episode, and this really sucks. I tweeted about how I stayed up all night, uh, like, watching the show, like, two or three days ago. And, like, one of the characters on the show, and I don't want to spoil it, don't Google who T.C. Tugger is or what T.C. Tugger is about before <laughs> you watch the show. But after you watch the show, just know that T.C. Tugger liked that tweet that I tweeted. Oh, okay. Just just about the show, and only like four. 
only like four people like the tweet, and I'm terrified about it. <laughs> <laughs> because that means the TC Tiger is just like Googling or, or like Twitter searching the show name. Like, I'm looking for the tweets, and I don't like that he knows who I am. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you've opened a Pandora's box. Uh, how to with John Wilson, and then, uh, let's see. Bookwise, uh, I got James Green's Grassroots Socialism over there. There's some good, good like, Texas socialism history. And nice. uh, then Red Tom Hickey, the king of Texas socialism. Okay. I recommend reading about Red Tom Hickey. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Kenny, what do you got? I don't I don't got nothing. I don't got nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Um I'm reading uh Work Won't Love You Back right now, which I just started. Um and I'm recommending the Fred Hampton movie, even though it's not out yet. Unless it's bad, then I received my recommendation. But I'm excited to watch that in ninety minutes when it comes on HBO. Wait, does it come on in 90 minutes? Like, if you, I've I, never stayed for, like, the midnight release. Do they drop it at midnight? Does that happen? Well, it's, I, I have no idea how HBO does it. I'm hoping it comes out at midnight, because I've been wanting to see that since before COVID, and oh, I'm terrified they, they're going to fuck it up. Like, oh, I'm absolutely. terrified they're going to make him be like, actually, like, will. all lives matter. They're going to, like, make him <laughs> this, like, they make Fred Hampton this, like, weird, like, live guy. It's like... Rainbow Coalition. We are all one rainbow coalition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're gonna uh, they're gonna do them like they did Abby Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna do them like they did Abby and fucking all those people. Uh, but yeah, that's what I recommend. Work won't love you back and Fred Hampton the movie. I don't know what it's called, but <laughs> when, uh, when when we were working on unionizing at work. Just quick sidebars. Sarah Jaffe was like one of the the things I was most hyped about. I was like, Sarah Jaffe supports our union. This oh, goes nice. for you. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. Amador, what do you got? Um, The Joe Rogan podcast on YouTube specifically. Oh. you got to watch it. Have you ever watched a podcast? It's, it's Yeah, it's nice. too confusing to listen to him because he's so smart. <laughs> you have to like see him. No, um my first time watching a podcast actually you know what's funny like i listened to when i listened to the alex jones one again for research to see if we could use anything on the pod like when you play the podcast on spotify it plays the video so i think they're just assuming the people that like joe rogan like to watch a four-hour podcast like, that's just the default setting is, like, video for their podcast. It's very weird. Okay, I don't know. What do you got for real? Come down? Um, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> I've, been, I've been reading uh, Bullshit Jobs uh, okay. by David Graeber, uh, who recently passed. Uh, so I've just been kind of, you know, revisiting different things. I hadn't read that book, so... Um, I know Kenny last week said that he was reading uh, Democracy in the Workplace or something like that. I'm reading Bullshit Jobs. It feels like opposites, but it's it's it works. It's similar. Yeah, there's that new Adam Curtis documentary, Can't Get You Out of My Head. Apparently Ooh. it opened for the favorite quote. Oh, shit. Cool. 
All right. Gotta go check it out. Gotta go check it out. Yeah. Uh, got any plugs, Alex, before we let you go? What are the, what are the plugs? Plug in, like, work and stuff? Yeah, work, organizations. Yeah. You think we should know about? Um, well, there's a lot of good organizations in Texas, some of whom, you know, I should say, I'm also going to throw the disclaimer in here. Anything that I've shared is me, not my work, not any of the people that I work with. Um, that being said, a lot of the topics um, that we talked about, there's good organizations to follow and support if you want to want to know more about what's happening. In Austin, you know, definitely grassroots leadership, Austin Justice Coalition, Austin DSA, um, Texas Appleseed, and doing really, really good stuff. Um, in San Antonio, you know, definitely support San Antonio DSA. Uh, the organization I work for, Move Texas, um, we're doing a lot of work to close a coal plant, the Spruce Coal Plant in San Antonio. Uh, it's the, you know, one of the largest carbon emitters in, in, the, in the state. Uh, it's like half of the city's carbon emissions. Oh, uh, just, just, just this one plant. Uh, so if you like took all the cars and all the buildings and all the energy that they consume, that's like one half of the ledger. The other half is this one plant. Uh, so we're working, we're working on that. So follow Recall CPS on on Twitter, Instagram to follow that work. A uh, bunch of redistricting stuff happening right now. Um, we're in the middle of redistricting as a state, drawing the maps for the next ten years of uh, political power um, and the Texas Civil Rights Project. Uh, Move Texas and Texas Rising are partnering on a bunch of trainings. There's hearings happening across the state. If anybody ever wants to testify. Uh, email my work email. It's alex at movetexas.org. Uh, always make time. Cool. Uh, a ton of stuff to plug into. So. Cool. Yeah, and we'll uh, try to link some of these things in the bio uh, for the episode. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, man. This was fun. Yeah, this was a ton of fun, y'all. I appreciate the invitation. Hey, yeah, come back anytime you want. We'll uh, talk about cabanas and. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, I'll take it easy, good. buddy. All right. And until next time, goodbye for ever. I'm not going to do the soundbite because I feel like we had a good conversation. I don't want to ruin it with this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, goodbye. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at SpinDocumentsPod. Uh, we still don't have an Instagram. So you can just follow Kenny's Instagram. <laughs> Right. Kenny, what's your Instagram name? Snuggleboy69, right? Yeah, that's it. All right. And uh, yeah, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And uh, see you guys next time.